knock some of these places just for normal items, you know you've got some problems. Hang up the phone and then immediately maybe call the media and tip that off that a complaint was made and then the whole thing spirals out of control. And From demanding legal action to campaigns that highlighted their illegal and immoral activities, March for Our Lives took on the NRA. From the fourth floor of the Capitol Rotunda, you're listening to WFSU Public Media's Capitol Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan. Among today's Capitol action, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is throwing his weight behind an effort to crack down on retail theft. Regan McCarthy reports the governor held a media event in Coral Gables today to highlight legislation that ups the penalties for shoplifters and porch pirates. Across the country, concerns about retail theft are rising. To illustrate that point, Governor Ron DeSantis's office points to a national study by Forbes that shows 85% of small business retailers said they'd experienced theft at least once last year. And that's beginning to impact shoppers. Some stores are raising prices to help make up for the losses. Others are trying to find ways to mitigate the problem. You go into like a, a pharmacy and the toothpaste is behind lock and key. Like it's almost like Fort Knox some of these places just for normal items. You know you've got some problems. During his media event, DeSantis blamed the rise in retail theft on undocumented immigrants and policies he says cities such as New York and San Francisco have passed that he says have made cracking down on small-scale crimes impossible. DeSantis says Florida is a law and order state. If you tolerate lawlessness, that's going to build and people are going to commit more and more serious crimes. So, so these penalties are going to be impactful. Uh, they're going to be effective. And the fact that you already have some of these people in New York saying they don't want to steal in Florida because they'll go to jail, that is already, uh, I think, out there. People know we take this seriously. A measure that's moving forward in both the House and Senate creates new offenses for people who work with groups of five or more people and for people who use social media to organize so-called theft flash mobs. It also lowers the value an item could be for a thief to be charged with a felony. And it increases penalties for repeat offenders and offenders who commit retail theft while in possession of a firearm. Hollywood Democratic Senator Jason Pizzo says he thinks deterring theft, especially thieves who take packages from homes, is important to avoid what could otherwise become a dangerous situation. You can appreciate that if someone walks up on my stoop, I open the door and I encounter this person on my property that um, it could end very badly and very dangerous. Opponents pushed back on that idea, saying they don't believe most criminals are aware of the penalty they might face before committing a crime and arguing that raising penalties might not work as a deterrent. I'm Regan McCarthy. A bill moving rapidly in the Florida legislature would ban civilian oversight of law enforcement or correctional officers. That oversight could still be conducted by county sheriffs or the police chiefs of municipal governments. As Margie Menzel reports, the measure is slated for a hearing tomorrow and has its roots in a fight in Tallahassee. Civilian oversight boards are government agencies that serve as a source of external oversight of police agencies. Some can make recommendations or monitor internal investigations, 
but not much more. There are 21 Florida cities with active civilian oversight boards, Tallahassee among them. But in 2022, Tallahassee's board came under fire after the mug of one of its members caught the attention of the Police Benevolent Association and the Fraternal Order of Police. That controversy also caught the attention of Spring Hill Republican Senator Blaise Angolia. They had a mug with an offensive saying on there. That person for that board had a mug for the Civilian Review Board that said F the police. The owner of the mug is Taylor Bureau, an advocate for homeless, abused, and trafficked youth, and a now former member of Tallahassee's Citizen Police Review Board. Bureau's mug, which she would bring to meetings of the review board, says abolish the police. But the outrage over it and everything that's happened since embody an ongoing debate over who should hold the people who hold everyone else accountable. Accountable. Who watches the watchman? You know, in what world should it be okay for the police chief to pick who decides if he's doing a good job or not? <laughs> We'd all love that in our roles at work if we could pick who decided, you know, I'd pick my best friend to tell me I'm doing a great job. And I think the police have just too high of a responsibility and they're too important with the role that they're in to not have transparency and some eyes on them. After the outcry, Bureau was booted from the review board and other members resigned in protest. The Tallahassee City Commission and many other cities created their police oversight boards during the peak of social justice protests following the death of George Floyd. His death was ruled a homicide after a police officer knelt on his neck. Angolia's Senate Bill 576 takes the establishment of civilian oversight boards away from local governments and makes it so that only sheriffs or police chiefs can create them. Sheriffs and police chiefs could also appoint up to seven members. Those boards would be able to review policies and procedures, but would have no say in matters like criminal or misconduct cases. Supporters of Angolia's bill, like the Smart Justice Alliance's Barney Bishop, say law enforcement officers face dangers that must be understood and respected. And the current crop and makeup of the civilian oversight boards don't do that. And if I'm a law enforcement officer, why do I want to come in and talk to a bunch of people that, number one, don't like me, are inclined to be against me, and don't care about my constitutional rights, and I can't have an attorney there, they don't go by court procedural rules. There's nothing set up that's in favor for me to be there. So these things are kangaroo courts, and they need to go away. Democratic Senator Jason Pizzo of Hollywood agrees. He's a former prosecutor and says the oversight panels were intended to placate individuals, not to make any substantive change in communities. He's a rare Democrat who voted for Angolia's bill. Your local city elected officials in Tallahassee should be making the changes and receiving these recommendations. Not a panel that has absolutely no power and control over this legislature, the county, or a city. So the people you elected for public safety, for the viability and vibrancy of your communities and your neighborhoods are the ones that are responsible. Go make them responsible. Go make them do their job. Not a panel that won't do anything. You're probably more likely to stand next to a bad cop because the Florida Police Union has allowed that cop to do wrongdoings and then come back and stand beside you. Despite no longer serving on Tallahassee's Police Review Board, Bureau defends its work. So the idea that the Police Review Board, the transparency of the Review Board, is anything but helpful. If, 
If the idea of accountability is scary to you, then, then that's the problem. Tallahassee's Civilian Oversight Board sat dormant for nearly a year after the incident involving Bureau's cop. It was reconstituted last year with new members deemed more friendly to law enforcement. I'm Margie Menzel. The Florida House is set to consider legislation that will bring sweeping changes to the state's Commission on Ethics. And we get more on that story from Tristan Wood. The Senate has already approved legislation that would impact the group tasked with investigating ethics complaints against elected officials and public employees in Florida. The bill adds time limits to the length of ethics investigations, bans complaints emerging from anonymous sources, and allows those running for public office to seek civil damages when someone files a fraudulent complaint. On the Senate floor, Democrats raise concerns about a section that will ban hearsay, legal term for secondhand statements, from being used to launch an investigation. Palm Beach Democratic Senator Bobby Powell says that provision could pull the teeth from the bill. If individuals who are credible, who are serving in a public position, which we know as a public trust, have secondhand knowledge that their testimony, considering that they're filing an affidavit, should not be rendered useless based on the fact that they went out on a limb to file it. Zephyr Hills Republican Senator Danny Burgess says the prohibition on secondhand statements is to prevent intentionally malicious complaints for political purposes. Somebody could just call a tip line hotline, pick up the phone and say, hey, this person's doing X, Y, and Z, hang up the phone and then immediately maybe call the media and tip that off that a complaint was made and then the whole thing spirals out of control. And Despite some concerns about the bill, Democrats still got behind it. Hollywood Democratic Senator Jason Pizzo says the overall package was too good to not support. I, I, I'm voting for it because it's I'm salivating at the acceleration clause basically that you're putting in here. But the hearsay thing I, I think is is a problem. And I think you might hear that from a number of people outside of this chamber who work on this stuff. And several ethics professionals have raised concerns with the bill. The commission itself opposes several elements, like the hearsay prohibition. Commission on Ethics Chair Ashley Lucas says the time limits could mean the commission will require more funding. Um, additional staff will be necessary to meet these timelines. Additional IT infrastructure will be necessary to meet these timelines. A similar bill in the House does not include several of the Senate provisions, like the hearsay section. I'm Tristan Wood. Tomorrow is the sixth anniversary of the school massacre in Parkland. For years, the National Rifle Association has served as a bulwark against gun regulations, as some analysts say gun violence has reached epidemic levels. For three decades, Wayne LaPierre led the NRA and became one of the country's most influential voices on gun policy. But his leadership has come to an end. WLRN's Kate Payne reports that is thanks in part to the movement started by student survivors of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. When politicians send their thoughts and prayers with no action, we say no more. And to those politicians supported by the NRA that allow the continued slaughter of our children and our future, I say get your resumes ready. That's David Hogg, a Parkland survivor and a co-founder of March for Our Lives, speaking at the group's first rally in Washington in 2018. From its beginnings, March for Our Lives has targeted the NRA, with activists saying they would hound the organization until it no longer exists. 
six years after Parkland. The NRA is in turmoil. The longtime head of the National Rifle Association is stepping down. The NRA announced today that Wayne LaPierre is leaving his... Wayne LaPierre resigned last month, ahead of a corruption trial in New York. He and other executives are accused of misusing millions of dollars of the nonprofit's funds for personal expenses, like exotic vacations and custom-tailored suits. In a statement following the resignation, the NRA has said LaPierre built an organization bigger than him and that the group's future is, quote, bright and secure. The case in New York was spurred in part by complaints that March for Our Lives made back in 2018, accusing the NRA of corruption. March for Our Lives has undoubtedly been a huge force of change, and this is a big part of our movement. It's not just marching on the ground and holding rallies and you know, doing all of those important things, but it's also really coming at the people that have corrupted our government and all of the leaders that are supposed to be saving us. I spoke with McKennan McBride of March for Our Lives about the role the group has played in taking down the NRA. What did you all make of the resignation of Wayne LaPierre after three decades leading the NRA? You know, I wonder, like, what were the group texts like when the news broke? (laughs) Oh, yeah, it was definitely immediately sent um, in our staff channel. It was shocking, but also not, I would say. I mean, from demanding legal action to campaigns that highlighted their illegal and immoral activities, March for Our Lives took on the NRA time and time again. And since we marched in 2018, they lost over a million members. I mean, the NRA today is really a shell of what it once was. And they've really learned the hard truth that young people and survivors are a force to be reckoned with. This is not just a fad. It's not just a moment. It really is a movement that's bringing about real change. And I think Wayne LaPierre's resignation and everything that's going on with these trials is a real uh, symbol of that for everyone in our movement. So definitely the staff channel was popping off (laughs) when we got this news. And you mentioned the NRA has lost more than a million members in recent years, and it has cut back substantially on its core activities of education and training, in part due to divert, you know, the organization's revenues towards fighting these legal battles like the one that that Wayne LaPierre is facing. I wonder if you all have seen a difference in the group's political impact and, and reputation during this time. For a long time, the vast majority of Americans have supported common sense gun safety reforms. People are on board with background checks. They're on board with assault weapons bans. And as the NRA has kept diverging from what the American citizens want to protect themselves and to keep their families and their communities safe, they want these laws. And the NRA instead just decided to peddle more money into Congress members to stop them from representing the people that they have a duty to protect. They've definitely lost people in the process once you start getting Buffaloes and Uvaldes back to back and all of these tragedies just flooding our news stream. It's impossible for Americans, for gun owners, for NRA members themselves on the ground in their own communities to see this happen and not think that this institution has a part in it. Even with the NRA in turmoil, as it is, there is still considerable resistance to gun control among lawmakers. You know, there's no more federal assault weapons ban, no federal law requiring universal background checks. Here in Florida, state lawmakers are considering rolling back a law that was passed in direct response to Parkland to allow people under 21 to buy a gun. What do you make of that? 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> so much to make of it. I think that a lot of people hone in on the NRA as this massive lobbying force and all the money that they have, but it's become more than that. Where their real power has been derived in recent decades is the political mobilization that they've managed, that they have very, they may not have as many NRA members anymore, but they do have very politically active ones. Um, and that's really what's also holding these lawmakers in the palms of their hands. It's not just campaign donations. It's also them threatening lawmakers with electoral retribution, that they will not have their NRA members vote for these lawmakers if they support common sense gun safety legislation. And so that's where we still see this lag. Yes, the NRA may be bleeding money, their corruption may be finally coming to light from the underbelly, but that doesn't mean that they don't still have a more intangible political power among their base. Um, and so what that means for March is we've really been trying to, you know, show people what the NRA has done, that this all has been one big manufactured effort and really break apart that political mobilization. The NRA as an organization is one issue, but as March for Our Lives makes this pivot, how do you address those broader cultural beliefs around guns that are really deeply held in this country? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, obviously, we're a youth-centered and run org, um, and that's so important for us. And like I said before, you know, the NRA has been able to amass this political influence outside of the money they have because they've mobilized a base that knows how to be politically engaged. And that's important for us to do, too, for young people. That's really our mission now. I, I would never underestimate the power of education, of educating the next generations that are growing up with the brunt of this gun violence epidemic of how we've gotten here, how our leaders have failed us and how these bodies like the NRA, but not even just the NRA, naming the gun manufacturers that are behind the NRA. That's so, so important. I've never been more inspired than by the generation of young people that we have today. And so many political leaders have said that, that young people at this moment in time are so fed up and have so much power within them to make change. Um, and it's up to us to do that. And that was McKennan McBride of March for Our Lives. I'm Kate Payne. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, Margie Menzel, and Tristan Wood. Thanks also to Kate Payne. Shows are available Monday through Thursday by 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, wherever you get your podcasts. On many of these Florida public radio stations, you can tune in each Friday to catch the latest on all things happening at the Capitol. That show is also available in podcast form. Technical assistance comes from Evan Rossi, and I'm Tom Flanagan. This is Capitol Report, the podcast from WFSU Public Media. <laughs>